Now, verse 22 is interesting. This is another thing that hopefully you're beginning to see in God's character. And when we get to Kings, you're really going to see this. That even though Rachel has shown no connection to God by not calling his name, by not praising him for any way, seeing the birth of children as competition, pursuing mandrakes instead, God still has compassion on her. And he still feels her pain. And this is what makes God so amazing, is that whether you're obedient or not, your suffering still invokes compassion in God. And sometimes God is faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. And sometimes he just blesses us because he has compassion, not because we deserve it. And we see that specifically and ultimately through the cross. And so the reality is, and here's also a good lesson here. One, this should show you how amazing our God is in that compassion that he shows even with this unrighteous woman. But it should also warn you to think from thinking that blessing means that I am good. A lot of times we think, well, if I'm being blessed by God, then that means I'm doing good in my relationship. No, 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 no. There are other tests that the Bible gives you of whether you're right with God. And that is you're obeying him. You're pursuing him. You sense his presence and you're connecting to him. But don't think just because you're receiving blessings, that's an automatic sign that you're good. Even though all blessings come from God, that does not mean it's a result of the fact that you're right with him. Sometimes God uses judgment to get you right, and sometimes God uses blessings to get you right. And we know, we've seen where people have been judged and condemned, and that was the kick in the butt that they needed to say, oh my gosh, I need to get my life right. And some people are so hard-hearted, no matter how many kicks in the butt they get, nothing ever changes, but then they are loved and shown compassion, and they realize there's no way they should deserve that, And that's what blows them away and makes them pursue God. And God knows what is best. And he uses both of these to draw people into a relationship with him. And so he sees Rachel and her suffering. And he pays attention to her. And he opens up her womb. Because that's the kind of God that he is. And this is the first time that she actually focuses on God and the naming of her kid. And she says, God has taken away from my shame. Now, she still does not use the name Yahweh, but she does acknowledge that God was at work here, which means maybe after the three years of mandrakes not working, and now she all of a sudden becomes pregnant, she realizes God gave me a child. God took away my shame. And then she names him Joseph, which means to add. And she recognizes that God has added to her not the mandrakes. As at this point, we now have 12 kids total, 11 sons. And God has through this shown the dysfunctional nature of this marriage. He's also revealed the characters of Rachel and Leah. But he's also in the end brought them closer to him. Doesn't mean they're where they should be. But we've seen with Leah, she has gone from seeing these children about connecting to her husband and now just praising God and seeing them as gifts and rewards from God. And we've seen Rachel going from this is about competition with my sister to I've now acknowledged that God has added to me. 
And so this is the main point of this story of God blessing this family, even though they don't deserve it, because he made a promise to Abraham. And God using this conflict and dysfunctionality in order to draw them closer to him. Because ultimately, this story and this book and this Bible is about God using suffering and blessings to redeem us and draw us closer. And that's exactly what he's doing here. And so this isn't just about a family getting bigger and dysfunctionality. This is about the human nature and God blessing us and drawing us closer because that's what we need. And he honors his covenant promises. Any questions, comments? Um, question on uh, Jacob. You know, when he, when he was given the maids, you know, by his wife, in their culture, could he have uh, refused? Oh, yeah. He could have refused. He's the patriarch. He's the king. Nothing happens without him saying so. So, I mean, it is a very much male-dominated society here. So, yeah, he could have refused. Now, Jacob is not much of a character in this chapter, but he's going to start taking center stage once again in the next chapter. But pay attention to, oh, never that Jacob actually talks to God. His wives actually spend more time calling on the name of Yahweh and God than he does, even Rachel. So, yeah, we don't see a connection with him, with God in this relationship at all either. Now, this should cause you to look at your own life and the struggles and the trials that you're going through your life, the things that you're looking to for blessings, fulfillment, and ask the question, why am I being blessed? Is it because I'm obedient or because God is who he is? And where am I pursuing the things that I should not be pursuing? And maybe that's why I don't have this sense of connection with God like I've so desired. Now, Joseph becomes the change here. Joseph marks the end of this um, indentured servanthood to Laban. But also with Joseph, Jacob now has what he wants. He is married to the woman that he's been lusting after his entire time in Padamaram, and now he has a kid from this woman, which now we're going to go in, and as we see these sons grow up, we're going to see that he's going to also favor Joseph more than all of these kids. And so Rachel and Joseph are going to become the object of his affection to almost practically the utter, absolute exclusion of everybody else. And we're going to see that. And so with this, Jacob decides that he's going to move. So, verse 25 of chapter 30. After Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way so that I can go home to my own country. Now notice he does not say pleased. You're going to see now that there's definitely not a great relationship with Laban either. And this one we could probably mostly blame on Laban. And so there's no this please. There's almost like this, I am done with you. I have put my 14 years in. I want to leave. But Laban's also the patriarch. And even though Jacob has received the firstborn blessing of his tribe, he does not have any authority in this tribe where he's all alone. And technically, in some ways, these are his wives with his children because he has worked for them and paid for them. 
But in another sense, he is under the headship of this patriarch, and he wants to leave and needs to by cultural customs with the permission of this patriarch. And so he does say, give me permission, but there's also this sense of, I want to get away from you as fast as I possibly can too. Okay, I've done what you've asked. I'm done being your slave. I want to go on. Now, Jacob Laban has one more deception under his sleeve because he comes back and says, he says, let me take my wives and children whom I have acquired by working for you, then I'll depart because you know how hard I work for you. Verse 27, but Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, please stay here for I have learned by divination that Yahweh has blessed me on account of you. He added, just name your wages and I'll pay you whatever you want. So Laban has recognized that his flocks have become far more numerous and blessed in the years that Jacob has been attending to them than they ever were before Jacob ever came in his life. And he's recognized what has changed is that Jacob brought this Yahweh with him. Now what's interesting is that now we are seeing that not only is God blessing Jacob with children like his promise through the Abrahamic covenant, but he's also blessing Jacob in that everything he does, he is successful and he produces blessing, even the things that don't belong to him. And so we see God honoring this covenant and Laban sees this, which means this is the second fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant that the world is seeing the blessings of Abraham and they're wanting to be a part of it. Now Laban will never completely give up his gods and join Yahweh, but he's at least acknowledging that Yahweh has blessed him far more than these pagan gods ever have. And we don't ever know how Laban finishes out the rest of his life, so we don't know what ultimately happens with him. So, but right now he's acknowledging that Yahweh is superior than any of the other gods that he is serving. So he says, I'll pay you whatever you want. I know that you're now done working for me and you don't have to work for me anymore, but I don't want to lose this lucky charm that I have. So name your wages and I'll pay it because whatever you ask for is definitely worse, worth how many animals are being produced under your hands than I ever did before. But you're like, okay, wow, that's pretty cool, Laban. He's recognizing that. And Laban has kind of made it clear, these animals don't belong to you. These animals are mine. You can take your children and your wives and you can leave, but what are you going to survive on? The house that you live in is mine. The animals that you oversee are mine. The food that you eat is mine. You worked for the wives. You've not worked for the flocks. And this is where Jake comes back and says, seriously, you have more animals since I have been here than ever in your entire life. You can't afford to cut me a certain percentage just by the fact that you wouldn't have this if it wasn't for me. And Jacob says, or Laban says, oh, name your wages. If you want to buy these animals, you have to work for them. And so Laban is deceived him once again. He's deceived him once again. And now where Rachel, or sorry, Rebecca has said, just go to my brother and stay with him for a short time until your brother's anger cools down has now turned into 14 years and is now going to turn into even longer. Because Laban, who is supposed to provide safety, is actually deceiving and betraying his sister's son. And so he says, this is what we're going to do. You need to work for more. At this point, Jacob is fired up. 
but there's nothing he can do because remember he left his tribe, which means there's nobody to protect his civil rights. So he's on his own. So what does Jacob do? He's going to go to his deception too. And it's deceiver versus deceiver. And Jacob says, okay, here's the deal then. Let's make a deal. You like making deals? I am done with you. I've got a deal of my own. Whatever animal is striped and speckled at the end of these years belong to me. Whatever animals have solid coats, you can keep. I will tend like I have been for a few more years. At the end of these few more years, whatever animals are striped and speckled belong to me and whatever solid coat belong to you. So among the sheep, it's typically white and black wool. And then among goats, it's typically brown and um, black wool. And this part of the um, world. And so stripe and speckle. Now, Laban is loving this. Because stripe and speckled are genetically less common than solid. So Jacob is automatically giving himself the smaller hand at the end. So it sounds like Jacob is getting the rawer end of the deal. And two, stripe and speckled wool take more work because when you shear them to sell the wool, you also have to separate the colors because nobody wants a mixed coat, at least not back then. So it requires more work. And Laban even says, okay, I'll agree to that, but we will separate all the animals out to begin with and we'll put all the solid coats over here and all the stripe and speckled, and I will take the stripe and speckled, and you're left with only solid coats, which means you're going to have an even harder job getting stripe and speckled out of solid coat animals that the stripe and speckled might be the recessive gene. And then Laban says, not only that, I'm going to take my animals and move them three days' journey away from yours. So there's no hope of any animal actually running away, getting into your flock, and ruining all up. So he takes Laban, all the striped and speckled. Jacob takes all the solid coats. And they're three days apart. And Jacob has to produce striped and speckled animals in this time period because that's the deal. Now, I don't know if you notice what's going on here. This is by far the weirdest thing that would never survive any kind of genetic science experiment. (laughs) He decides that this is what he's going to do. He's got a plan. He's going to take bark, wood, and he's going to strip stripes into the bark so that it looks striped and speckled. And when the sheep come and the goats come to the watering trough, because the watering trough is where most of them gather, and so mating season, that's also where they typically mate. When they come to the watering trough, when it comes to the mating season, he's going to have them look at the striped and speckled bark so that whatever they're looking at while they're having intercourse is what their children are going to look like when they're born. Now, that definitely does not match up to any kind of genetic test. If it did, then we would all have the skin color of, like, wallpaper and wood paneling and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't work. But there is a little bit of genetic wisdom in this, too, because he notices that when he does produce some stripe and speckled, which is not uncommon, I mean even with solid animals, that he then separates the solid coat animals away from the rest and only starts breeding the dominant gene ones. So there's a little bit of this superstitious 
magic wives' tales. Like, where in the world did you get that idea? But mixed in with some that he's also been a keeper of livestock his entire life, and he's been observing that there is some kind of a dominant recessive gene thing, even though he has no idea what that is. He does see the results of that. And so he does kind of separate them out when he notices that when the solid coats are more dominant, then he moves them away and does not let them breed anymore. And when he notices that the stripe and speckles are more dominant, then he allows them to breed. But he's still putting them in front of this bark to look at so that they'll turn out. And what's amazing is it works. It works. Until you read later when God comes in and says, it is I who made your animals multiply. Okay? It only works because it's coincidence that God is blessing him, honoring the Abrahamic covenant, and Jacob just happened to time it up with this weird idea. But it shows, once again, he's not praying to God for this. Notice that he never pursues God, he never calls on God, he never prays God, and he never praises God. He is looking towards his own efforts and his own intelligence to get this all taken care of. And so in this sense, he's no different than Rachel. He's no different than Rachel. And yet God blesses him in all this anyways. And so he ends up having a lot more animals than Laban ever did. And that's pretty much us most of the time. Depending on cultural stuff, more than praying and talking to God. 